Hello and welcome to In Unison, the podcast about new choral music and the conductors, composers, and choristers who create it. We are your hosts. I am Zane Fiala, Artistic Director of the International Orange Chorale of San Francisco. And I'm Giacomo Di Gregoli, a tenor in IOCSF, the Golden Gate Men's Chorus, and the San Francisco Symphony Chorus. And this is... In Unison! Joining us today on In Unison is Pamela Z. And Pamela is a composer, performer, and media artist who works primarily with voice, live electronic processing, sampled sound, and video. She's a pioneer of live digital looping techniques and processes her voice in real time to create dense, complex sonic layers. Pamela's solo works combine experimental extended vocal techniques, operatic bel canto, found objects, text, digital processing, and wireless MIDI controllers that allow her to manipulate sound with physical gestures. In addition to her solo work, Pamela has been commissioned to compose scores for dance, theater, film, and chamber ensembles, including the Kronos Quartet, Eighth Blackbird, The Bang on a Can All-Stars, Ethel, and the San Francisco Contemporary Music Players. Pamela is also known for her interdisciplinary performance works, as well as her installations, all of which have been presented at venues around the world. And today, we'll be discussing Ink, Pamela's new composition premiered by Volti. Ink unfolds in five sonically distinct multimedia movements, titled Drink, Blink, Think, Link, and Ink. The movements variously use standard notation, graphic elements, instructions, and rote transmission of sung and spoken vocal material. Thanks for joining us, Pamela. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So uh, we like to start these conversations with an icebreaker, and we know that from our uh, Composers and Cocktails series, and from having met you a few times through through, through the Volti series, um, that you are an avid drinker, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> and so we thought we might ask, what is your favorite cocktail? Well, I have several favorites, and I just go from one to to another, but I get, you know, right now I'm quite fond of the aviation, mm. uh, which is, which is uh, gin, maraschino liqueur and um, creme de violette and, uh, and, and lemon juice and a brandied cherry as a garnish. Oh. Um, so that's, that's one of my favorites. Another favorite that I've had for a while is this thing called the pivot and it's a variation on the old fashioned. So it's it's a it's Maker's Mark or Bullet or whatever you bourbon you like, and then uh, you know the, the simple syrup and some dashes of chocolate bitters. Mmm. Yum, yum, yum. Okay, add that to the list. We were drinking Aviations in your honor as we were watching Ink. It's very <laughs> good. Although without the brandied cherry, I missed I missed the garnish. I, I didn't realize. Well, I feel, yeah, I feel like a failure. <laughs> All right, this seems like a good time to introduce you to Ink. Here's an excerpt of the final movement of the piece, the title track, as it were, Ink. Millions of microscopic droplets of water-based ink, or this is made 
Perhaps we should start off by asking Pamela, what is ink? I don't know how to answer that question. You mean, do you want me to? Do you want me to like encapsulate the piece in a in a sentence? <laughs> <laughs> Unbounded. It can be. It can be the answer to the universe. Oh, it can gosh. be whatever. How would you, you know, describe it to someone who is I, yeah, just experiencing? It I mean, the first I, time? I guess it's in a. It's 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 weirdly almost a piece of conceptual art because. It's the theme that it hangs on is something that's so conceptual and not and not um, based in 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 any kind of a story or ideology or you know it's it's really I I started with this idea that and I honestly can't remember when I first decided that that's what it would be but I had this idea that. Um, that there would be that all the movements of the piece would would have that ink sound in the name so it would go, you know and i think wow i you know i'm trying to remember like if that if i had started working on it and then that came to me or if i actually knew that i had this weird feeling that i kind of knew that before i'd made any of it um, I mean, I knew conceptually what these different sections would be. It, it came to me really fast that, oh, there'll be the blink section and, and in blink that, you know, they'll be using e- each other's blinks as, as a score. There'll be ink, which will be this, you know, bleeding uh, inkjet print of, of a score with the ink blots um, and, you know, link um with with the with the URL with all the URLs and um you know uh and it all and all of these things just um it's not like they came to me whole cloth but the idea and the concept was pretty fast like i i knew pretty early on that there were these five movements and what the names were of the movements um and i didn't want to um reveal too much because uh, for one thing, I was afraid it would influence, uh, it would affect their behavior, and I didn't want that to happen. Um, so uh, you know, the the it was easy to reveal to them that the the final movement was called ink, and 
and they knew right away that there were going to be ink blots that they were going to have to interpret vocally um, because that was a that's the only movement in the whole piece that was presented to them as a full score when when they received it and they learned it to sing it as a full score and they understood from beginning to end what was going to happen in it and that's why it was useful to have bob um, all the rest of the movements were presented to them in little fragments and um, individual little fragments that I made by having them sing the, you know, and I, I actually created these sort of slides with, you know, two bars of music with, re with repeat bars on each end so that they could sing. And a lot of the phrases I already knew were only going to happen once. But I needed to make sure because they couldn't hear each other, because they couldn't, um, you know, that they didn't have a feel for what, how this was going to fit together. I needed to make sure that they had enough times to sing it that in all of those times they might get, you know, one or two good takes. And so for each little phrase, I had them repeating them, you know, eight or 10 times. And, um, and, you know, but they were all separate. And so they just were like, okay, this is a fragment. Sure, I'll do whatever you ask, you know. <laughs> and that's how I sort of fed it to them. Um, but, but yeah, I've, I, I feel like I've um, wandered I, uh, from whatever. I can't remember what your question was anymore. <laughs> no, that's it. I mean, I'm just, it's interesting to me because it's, would you call it a, I mean, it's a piece of art, but it's, mm -hmm. It's a piece of wordplay, and it's a composition, and it's conceptual art, and it's just—it's interesting to hear you talk about how you would describe it. I mean, it's this well, I, experience. Well, I, I think of it as a composition, and um, furthermore, I think that it's a—and I—and I actually, in the behind the scenes, like each week when I came to them with all these little fragments— Leading up to that rehearsal, I was structuring that movement. So I already had the placement in mind of the order that those events would occur in, how they all fit together. So by the time I would bring the fragments to the rehearsal, I had already composed it. And I now just was like, in order to make this, it was like, it was like coming up with a meal plan and figuring out what the, what the meal, what you're going to fix. And then, you know, sketching out the order of like, these are the courses and this is what's going to be in it. And then you're like, okay, now I need to go to the market and buy those ingredients so that I can then assemble this thing, you know? And so that was kind of what it was like. I, I assembled it using my own voice as a stand-in. And, um, and then I, and uh, well, my voice plus I was able to construct. So a, a good portion of this has to do with text collage that's built out of their speaking voices and a lot of the vocal uh, melodic motifs that are in it were pulled from the actual melodic material of what they were, their, the sound of their speaking voices. So I, the very, very first thing I did, the first rehearsal we had was replaced by a series of interviews. And I interviewed them all individually. And then I had to scramble between that and the following week when there would be the first rehearsal to begin one of the sections. And I had to structure it in Pro Tools. And I built all the little text collage part out of their speaking voices. And then I had to 
notate, you know, what were the notes that they were singing in and among that. And then I created these slides with all these little fragments. Then I came to the rehearsal, presented them the fragments, had them do that. And then they had to send me the clean recordings of them doing it. And I had the Zoom recording of their faces. Um, and so then I had to and then I, I, I wanted really badly to finish constructing that section, but I couldn't. I had to move on to the next one so that in time for the next rehearsal, I would have those slides ready for them with the fragments for whatever that was. So I had to build the next one. So each week I would build one of these uh, movements and then I would get to the rehearsal. I would rehearse them, get them to re-sing and record for me those fragments. And then once I had all of the fragments in place, I said, you don't have to come to rehearsals anymore. And then it was my job to, you know, fit it all together um, and, and, you know, build the piece, replace my, my part, my vocal scratch tracks with their voices and, and so on. So, and refine, you know, the audio mixes and then build this, build the video the image that that goes with it. So to me, it's a, it's definitely a composition. But oh, what I started to say earlier is, um, I I was really hoping that I would make something that even though this piece was the first piece I've ever made that was designed to be presented in this virtual situation, um, I also in the back of my head had it that I really hoped that I could make it in such a way that it would have a life after this. Um, and could be done on stage by the, by the, by the, the chorus. And, um, but I told myself, you know, I'm so, I'm on so much pressure to get this finished in time for the premiere. I can't worry about that. It's a hope I have, but I can't like put any energy into making that, making sure that that will work. I just had to put all my energy into making sure it'll be a good piece in this format. And then I thought, then I can sort that out later. But after it was after I was done, I realized I thought of all these ways that um, I feel like at least most of the movements can can very easily be performed live and have a, a um, an in person life. Do you imagine in that? Just I was very curious about that, and we asked um, Joel uh, about this as well because it feels like the, there there's a component of this that feels very site specific and very mm-hmm. now. And very much like t- tailored for for this specific audience in this specific moment. But do you imagine that in the future, like one of the thoughts or one of the questions we had later is that there, so much of this felt like the process of a documentarian. And in fact, you you use that term that you interviewed folks and you got the sounds of their voices. Um, do you imagine that being potentially part of what you might push into the future? Right, like it oh, but was I already, fascinating. I already, that came from my past. Like if you know my, any of my other work. I, I have so many pieces yes. where I use interview material. I mean, I've been doing that for years. So. Do you imagine? Do you imagine that the uh, like, let's say, a new choir was going to do this, or Volti was going mm-hmm. to take it? Would you repitch things based on, or find new motifs or new cadences that based on that? I don't think that? so. I don't think yeah. so. I would say this piece, um, if it were done, um, you know, this is really interesting because I made a piece uh, last year. I want to say last. I keep saying last year, but I'm just skipping like. The, the dumpster fire of a year that yes. we had it, you know, just like not counting it. But in 2019, um, I made a piece for Eighth Blackbird. And um, that piece involved a lot of uh, 
uh, interview material, I started that piece by interviewing the sextet individually. And, um, and then I built all these movements out of fragments of their voices. And then, you know, there's always changeover over the years in chamber ensembles. But for some reason, in the year following my piece that I made for them, the entire ensemble, there are two members left from who were in it when I made that piece with them. And um, all the rest of the people have moved on and they've been replaced by other people. And so, you know, Matthew sort of contacted me and said, we really like the piece and we want to do it, but we're wondering if you can, if you, you know, if you think you're going to, if, if you would redo the text part or something, you know, and I, I mentioned, I, I pointed out to him that, you know, even though in a way it's sort of a portrait of the ensemble because it uses all of their voices, it's music and it doesn't, I've made a lot of these pieces with other people's voices where the voices that were used were not the performers. And so it, it to me, it's like, even though it seems very personal to them, um, I feel like it's it's perfectly um, it's a perfectly acceptable thing for a different ensemble to play it, but with the same track. You know, um, I made a piece for Kronos Quartet in 2012, and it was about speaking accents. And so I interviewed upwards of 30. I think I interviewed like 35 or 36 people. Um, all who had different, you know, they either were had different regional Amer American accents from different regions of the country, or they were from other uh, English-speaking countries, or they were from other countries and had English as a second language. So there were all these different uh, accents, and that was now included in that were the four members of the of the quartet, but um, their voices were four out of like. 30 plus voices. And so um, the fact that their voice, and then I also have them doing some speaking in the, in the piece. So, you know, it, it's not a matter of that I would need to go back and redo that, that text part because it's of different members of the ensemble. I mean, when, 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 um, when Sonny came in and replaced Jeff as the cellist, they, you know, it, it, I had just finished the piece and so, and she has got this wonderful, she's like Korean and South African. And so I was like, okay, I'll interview her and I'll slip in a few of her because I, it was just fun to like add her to it, but it wasn't necessary. You know what I mean? And I feel like, um, in a way with this, uh, with this ensemble, um, I think, and I think another a completely different chorus could sing it and have the, the, the track be the other people's voices, you know, the speech, the speech, um, you know, in my opinion, I think, you know, people feel, I think people get attached to it emotionally. Like I think this thing with eighth Blackbird, I think they're not really quite sure about this idea that another, that, that they could keep doing this piece with these, with other people's voices in it. But I don't see any reason why not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that'll be really interesting to see Volte uh, bring this to the live stage at some point. 
Well, Pamela, we we loved this piece. Actually, we thought it was really extraordinary. And one of the th- one of the things that um, struck me a few weeks ago I, that I wanted to ask you about the process as you sort of put this together. Um, a few weeks ago, we chatted with a woman named Astrid Vang Pedersen. She leads a group out of uh, Denmark called Dopplers, and she has studied um, pretty extensively this notion of concert design. And the basic elements, of course, are you've got some performers, and you've got a piece that you're going to perform, and then you've got an audience. Boy, we're living in some strange times right now. And I'm wondering how the thought of sort of approaching this piece where, you know, the natural sort of pieces... I mean, you're someone who works in uh, very interesting methods with um, looped voice and all of the things that, that Zane mentioned in your bio. When you approach this project of putting ink together... How did you think about that? I mean, how did you think about folks who'd be sitting in their living rooms? And was that part of your process as you thought about the the ingredients in putting together this performance and this piece? Well, one thing I've thought about a lot during this time period, and this is even something I've thought about in my solo performances, because I've given quite a few streaming solo concerts um, in this time period. And one thing that I've thought about is that uh, if you try to make a piece that is um, that's trying to emulate what we would have done in a live concert hall um, for this platform. It's just going to end up being sort of a sad shadow of of what of what it wishes it was, you know. Um, so I thought it's important to design a performance that's going to be virtual, that to you know exploit the 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 attributes of this venue as it were um and that uses things that this has that other things don't you know that live concert halls don't have so that for example i've been thinking a lot about working really close into this little camera that we're playing to um and being very intimate that way in a way that you couldn't do and you can have things little details can be visible to your audience that would not be visible to them or not be very clear to them, even if they had a front row seat, if it was in a big concert hall. Um, And so then by making a site-specific piece, as it were, then it makes it so that it's more engaging for somebody who's experiencing it. If you know that they're going to be experiencing it on a screen, then you can make it so that it's engaging on a screen. And so I thought about that a lot. And um, in the design of ink, I was really thinking about um, also, you know, how I could, in a a way, sort of comment in in a way on, um, or just not, not necessarily comment, but note, but notice, you know, uh, just regard, um, like what the world has looked like for us for the past year and a half. And, you know, that it's, you know, this idea of people in their own little cells and the strange concept of being in these separate little cells, but yet doing something that we're all doing together, you know? Um, so I just thought about that. And I thought about a lot of things like that in the design. Since we're talking about it, here are the first couple of minutes of the third movement of Pamela's piece, Think. I think, I think, I think, I think, I think more. I think, I think, I think, I think, I tend to think, I think, I'm thinking. 
I think it used to be. I'm thinking about the thought, time. Thought, 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 I'm thinking about the thought, 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 I'm thinking, thought, 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 I started to think. about was how can I depart from that or how can I take it in a slightly different direction in each movement and so and like what can what other things can be echoed by this other than just making every single movement look like a zoom grid you know so that's when I was thinking about things like in in the movement that's called think so it's all about thought and so immediately I was thinking oh instead of rectangles I could have thought bubbles and so I started to think, oh, I could put, like, one of the choristers could be at the bottom of the screen, and all the other ones could be in little thought bubbles above their head. And then I thought, well, that's too many thought bubbles. Um, and then I was like, oh, wait a second, thought bubbles kind of go with comic strips, so I could do a grid that looks like a panel for a comic, and then put each one of them in one of those, and then put, and then when somebody has a thought, it's a chorister in a thought bubble, you know, that they're thinking. And so, so that, you know, I was just really kind of trying to be a little bit creative with this so that I could, I, you know, I was pretty much married to the idea of a grid because you got 16 people. And if you want to show 16 people, I mean, I, I could like put them all in little circles, but then it would look like, you know, Apple, uh, you know, icons or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, though, I love that. Uh, uh, an observation that I made in the comparison between, and for the folks who don't know, the, there are five movements and they're all, it's wordplay, so it's very fun. Drink, blink, think, link, and ink. And I hope I haven't given away the M. Night Shyamalan twist here, but it's very fun. Um, and two of the things that we thought about a lot um, was the juxtaposition between think and link and the visual language that you used. My, my husband is finishing his MFA right now in comics. And so Ooh. loved your piece because very much saw like the visual language of the thought bubbles and how that had changed. It was very, uh -huh. very interesting. But you play with that in Link because folks it's, were in what I think or what looked like little app squares. 
Yes, I was, you know, that was so, you know, it was the same kind of thought process when I was trying to think like, what can I do for Think? When I thought about Link, I was like, I want to do something that is, that's something different than what I've been doing in the other movements. And, and because the piece, that movement is really kind of about a computer interface or a, you know, it could be iOS, it could be, but it's like, somebody, you know, it's like people trying to navigate through this virtual world. Um, and I suddenly realized, oh my God, they could become like the lock screen of your iOS device with all of those little icons, uh, for all the didn't apps. And each one of them could be an app. And so I was like, ah, oh. and that just, that idea came to me really at the last minute. And then I was like, okay, I have to make a mask that has those little rounded corner squares that, you know, and then I have to like figure out how to put, you know, so I, that was like, and you know, and I was like, okay, there's 16 of them. So it's going to be a matrix of, you know, these, you know, and, and I had to like work out all of that. And then I thought, well, the fun thing about that too, is that then I was like, oh, because I had already had them do these swipe um, gestures. I was like, oh my God, they can swipe the screen and move to the next set of, uh, of apps, you know? And so I had to animate that in, in, in Premiere. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, it was crazy. And I can't believe I was able to do it in the amount of time I had left because I came up with that idea at the really last minute. Um, but yeah, I, that was, that was really fun for me. And then the other thing I thought was interesting is that, so I had these squares and the squares were, I had them filled with these sort of soft colors. Um, so the colors were removed and the people were, their faces were showing through those openings, but then I wanted there to be some places where the, the faces go away and that you just had the icons. And so I had, I, and I, I was going to put actually like little shapes, like maybe a phone receiver and a, you know, a, an, a, an email icon or something. And I said, no, I'm going to make it more abstract than that. And so I'll just have them empty. So I made them empty for when they're not there, but they were these colors, they were these soft colors. And what it started looking like to me was a watercolor um, palette or, or um, pastels or like maybe a makeup kit with little eyeshadow, you know, like there were these soft colors in these little forms. And I was like, oh, I, I don't know. It's it just like sometimes these things you 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 think of the visual idea and then the concepts that get attached to it emerge later, you know, when you're least expecting it. But so that was sort of fun that those things kind of morphed for me. At least in my eyes, they morphed from being these little you know apps to being almost like maybe little color palettes that people could use for something. Let's jump into that movement for a little bit. Here's an excerpt of movement four of Pamela's piece, Link. H-T-T-P-S-P-S. H-T-T-P-S colon. H-T-T-P-S-P-S-H-T-P-S-H-T-P-S-H-T-P-S-H-T-P-S-H-T-P-S-H-T-P-S-H-T-P-S-H-T-P-S-H-T-P-S-H-T-P-S-H-T-P-
https colon h h h h well, so that was movements three and four we just talked about. Think was movement three and Link was movement four. So we take a little step back to Blink and Drink. I want to talk about those two uh, next. So so I want to talk about Drink first. So I'm actually, I spent over 20 years in the, in the restaurant business. And my most recent gig was actually a bartender in Napa Valley at a restaurant. Um, and I had a great time making cocktails. And so as a, uh, as a bartender and a food and drink aficionado, I don't know if I really like that label, but nonetheless, I have some very specific ideas about cocktails. And so that movement resonated with me um, immediately because it was clear that a lot of the singers also had some specific ideas. And so I was wondering if you found yourself surprised by how specific some of them were about uh, different cocktails or coffee it sounded like some of them were very yeah, specific oh, the, about their coffee making yeah so the cocktails i wasn't that surprised uh because people do have these very strong opinions about shaking is better stirred is better blah 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 um or never use vodka it's got to be gin you know um but the coffee and tea making especially the coffee making where she measures out i mean i had heard about people with the thermometer, like checking the temperature of the water, but I had not heard about like 240 grand, you know, like, oh, I don't yeah. remember what the figure was, but there was a specific amount of water that was like very measured. Yes. And uh, so, yeah. So I was like, wow, that's very specific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a friend who uh, makes his coffee on a digital scale. And that's mm -hmm. that's where he makes his coffee because he yeah. has it has to be a ratio of weight by weight, you know, because, yeah. Oh, yeah, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it's fabulous. I mean, it just that people nerd out that deeply about these things, you know, take a shaker, fill it with some ice, add the bourbon, add a dash of oat milk. I just want to mix something. So just as an aside, what do you, what how do you feel about a martini? Does it can it be made with gin or vodka? I, I I'm not a huge martini person, but I do like I do think I prefer a gin martini. Um, I, I I think I generally like a gin martini, yeah. but I'm not so particular about it that I'll turn down a. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's listen to some more of that opening movement, Drink. And if you want to go make yourself a martini, go ahead and pause the podcast. We'll wait. Vodka. Gin. 
vodka. Gin. It must be vodka. made from gin and not vodka. vodka. Pour it. Stirring. Shaken. I, I would rather stir it. Pour it. Stirring. Shaken. I, I would rather stir it. I tend to stir them. I drink my coffee black. I grind 24 grams of coffee. Strictly. That's very specific. Weigh out the 24 grams of coffee. 320 grams of water at 200 degrees Fahrenheit. That's very specific. Do a pour over. I pour my coffee in. Pour it straight into a glass. I pour my coffee in. I pour my coffee in. Pour some water. I pour my coffee in. I pour myself that much milk. Pour it. Shake it. Shake it. Pour it. Pour it. Shake it. Pour it. Pour himself some gin. Champagne into a nice glass. No, word from our sponsors. Are you a fan of the In Unison podcast? Are you a bit of a chorus Dolores? Want to show your love and support for the choral arts? Then check out the In Unison store. From water bottles to beer steins, tote bags to t-shirts, we've got loads of fun stuff to satisfy your inner choral nerd. And every purchase goes to supporting the creation and distribution of In Unison. Check out all the fun goodies at inunisonpodcast.com slash store. And now back to the episode. So then moving on to movement two, which was called Blink, um, which, of course, the, for the audience, the, the very first visual we get in that movement is one single singer, nice and full screen, just staring into the camera until eventually she blinks. And then the choir sings a chord right at that moment. So I was wondering, is was this like a chance composition? Did you record the blinking videos and then choose the rhythms based on that and also was did you choose all those chords first or did you let the rhythm determine kind of how the mu it musically developed so i'll i'll tell you the the whole process um first of all the i the concept of the piece just to make it clear for anybody who's not seen it and it, it, just from a listening standpoint the concept of the piece is that it is a chance piece in that the um, the music is conducted by people's blinking. And so the decision about when a sound happens is based on when someone blinks. So I consider all of those um, videos of their faces to be the score for the piece. Um, so, but... Because I was going to shoot video of them, I was going to have actually on most of the movements, the video came from Zoom and I did, went to great pains to make sure it looked as good as it could possibly look, made sure that everybody who wasn't a member of the chorus, including myself, had their cameras off so that we had a grid of only 16 and that, that they wouldn't get any smaller than that. Um, so that was how I got most of the video, but for the the... Blink movement and, and ink. For those two movements, I wanted really beautiful, pristine video with clean white backgrounds, not people's bookshelves or their bed or whatever in the bed. You know, I wanted like beautiful, like soft white or light colored backgrounds. I wanted them either wearing black or white and I wanted them to look, you know, nice and have a good distance at, you know, fill the screen in a, in a nice way. So I directed them very 
specifically how to shoot the video themselves for those two things. And for uh, Blink, what I asked them to do, I didn't tell them it was called Blink. I told them I need a silent video and I need for you to just be still, relaxed. Don't, you know, move around a lot, but just be relaxed and just look at the camera for two minutes and record that yourself. I was afraid that if I told them that the piece was called, that that movement was called blink or that blinking had anything to do with it, they would become self-conscious about their blinking. And so they would have been like, you know, blinking a lot more than they usually do or not blinking at all or, you know, and so, um, you know, I, I just didn't say anything about it because I thought people naturally blink. And so they'll just, if I just have them do what I asked, I'll get these videos of them blinking. And, um, then I took those videos and from those I determined the, you know, the, the spacing of the notes and, um, or, you know, ordinarily I would, um, and what will happen, I think, in the live version, which I am confident will happen, um, is that they will look at someone and actually be singing to the blinks. But for this process, I didn't want them to be self-conscious in the rehearsal, like when their face was up on the shared screen and now everybody's seeing that person's blinks. And so I, I followed the blinks myself. Um, and I... I recorded like when they, I, re, I, I basically, I sang or said blink or something um, when I saw the blinks and I collected those and I made these guide tracks and then I replaced that with me clapping. And so then in order to get all of their voices singing the, the, at the right times, I, I played the guide track for them and I said, the thing that I want you all to do is I want you to come up with a, 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 a duration of time a after which, like, I want you to just like, when you hear the clap, you sing the tone and whatever time it takes you, just keep that consistent. So if it's like, ah, 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 you know, just always follow whatever you did as a duration on each one the same. And then, um, and then I just, and so there were several different versions and you might've noticed this in the piece. Um, in the opening, it was unison, I think. Um, when you had Celeste, the first blinker, um, they were singing unison. And for that one, I actually played tones on the piano and I improvised those, but I just came up with an order of pitches that were you know, it's kind of atonal, not like a, you know, not a melodic thing that was an really obvious kind of tonal melody, but more just some, ra I just played random pitches. And so what I did was, uh, in that, that for that one, they got a clap, but it was accompanied by a piano note. And then the, um, they were to do their tone to whatever pitch they just heard. And I said, if it's in an octave, that's not comfortable for you, just put it up or down an octave. And so that was one of the passes. And then for another uh, person's blinks, I did, um, I asked them to just sing random pitches that they choose. And I said, you know, just choose a different pitch for each one. And then um, if there are two really quick blinks, right, one after the other, 
it's okay to just repeat the same pitch because it's really hard to come up with a new pitch that fast. And so, um, so that was the sort of direction. It's like you, you'll hear if you hear, you know, you know, like that. So they were to repeat if they if if they got a really quick one. Here's an example of what Pamela is talking about. Movement two, blink. 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 well uh and so because what i wanted for that section was tone clusters and so i ended up with some beautiful clusters with them just singing randomly their own choosing their own random notes they couldn't hear each other so they were just each choosing their own random notes and then there was another section where i asked them to just say the word blink mm. at the risk of them guessing like why this was happening <laughs> <laughs> Un unpitched, they didn't just, yeah, just to speak, speak the word. Just speak, just say blink, blink every time they heard the clap. And then I combined them. So for the pers first person's uh, blinks, you had um, the all of them on this, you know, playing this sort of atonal melody all on the same pitches in unison. And then the second thing was a, 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 a these chords, clusters. They were like tone clusters because of the random pitches that they were all doing their own individual. The third section was with a, a pair of faces, and that was where I had them saying blink. And you had like, I think it was Joel and Victoria. And um, so, and I, I just put all the men on Joel's face and all the women on Victoria's face. <laughs> so it was male voices saying, you know, and female voices. Um, and then uh, the final movement, I gave them all their own voice. So, uh, because in the end, you had all of them on the screen. So I gave, uh, you know, in the final, I guess the final little section of that movement was 16 faces, and each one had a single voice, which was their own voice, um, following, their, following their blank. So that's how I constructed the piece. Um, when it gets done live... My plan is to use the audience oh. as the score. 
That's cool. I want to ask a little bit more about that, um, just to lean into this notion of when this will become a live piece, because I'm so excited about it. But I have to say, one of the things that struck me overall, and Zane and I were talking about this too, there's a... um, you constructed an experience that has this very intimate sensuousness to it, from the language that you play with to the visual imagery to even just the topics, right? Ink and drink. And it's you feel very, they're very universal, but you also feel very, like, you they're, they're immediate. There's a, a, a sensuousness to them. And I wonder just how else you might play with that live, because I feel like we had such unfettered access. I mean, strangely... Nothing in the experience was liquid, right? It's all digital coming at us. There's, there's nothing in there, and yet you've created this experience. What? I, how might that translate? What? Are, what are some of the ways you might? Well, I, I, I have, I had immediate ideas uh, as soon as I had finished the piece. I was like, oh, I know how this is going to go. Um, for one thing, I'm going to ask that we use projection for the final movement because I want the audience to see the score. So it'll be like score follower. There'll be like this, the pages will be on the screen behind them if I can get that to happen. I just think that it, in that particular piece, it actually matters that the audience knows like why are they going off the rails at certain points, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that's how that part will be handled. Um, some of the other things, you know, um, I think can just be scored like, you know, Movements like drink and um, and and think and and also link. I think I can. Those can be scored, and they can learn to just sing them. And they'll have they'll have a track, which will be the tape. The tape part will be their speaking voices that that collage of the speaking voices that goes with the pieces. That's you know that's a layer of the piece, and then they'll be singing um, with that. Uh, and then, you know, probably I'll try to have the, you know, encourage them to like actually use the, use the props for the, for drinks so that there's actually, you know, and things like that. Um, you know, and then for Blink, um, and I, to, I have to be honest with you about Blink. I came up with that idea a long time ago and the first time, and so it became a movement of this piece, but the first time I ever did it was I, I had this, I used to have this avant chamber series called the room series that occurred in a performance gallery that was on the first uh, floor of the, of the artist building that I live in. I live in an artist live, I live in a warehouse with a bunch of artists. And on the first floor, we had this little performance gallery and I used to do this avant chamber series, which sadly ended, uh, like I, it's, I got the Rome prize. I went to Rome and while I was in Rome, COVID happened. And when I got back, there was no more live concerts in the Royce Gallery, you know, and so I couldn't, so I don't know in the future, I don't know what the future of the room series is going to be, but in the past, I had all these wonderful evenings that I did. And one of the evenings I did was called Mouth, and it was eight uh, experimental vocalists. So it was myself um, and, you know, several several other really interesting people um, were were in it. Um in, including um, trying to think of people that were in it that you that you might know, um, Randall Wong was in it, uh, and um, you know Julie Queen, um, Aurora was in it. A lot of all, all these, uh, you know, um, Amy Foot. Uh, so there were all these great singers that were in this show and it, and in the show we all did individual pieces of our own and then i 
had these sort of graphic score pieces that we performed together throughout the evening. One of the pieces was, was blank and we used the audience. And so every person in the, in the group chose an audience member as their, you know, as their, as their score. And so that's, you know, so I'm thinking for the, for, for the, you know, I'm, I'm giving away secrets that I, I was, you know, but, you know, I'm thinking for the, for the Volte version of it, that I'm going to have it in sections kind of like I had in there, because it was much more developed in their piece than it was. The night that I did it at the Room Series, it was this quick one-off thing, and it was more like it lasted for 30 seconds or something, you know. It's, it, but it, so this is much more developed and has all these little sections. So I think it'll be like there'll be one section where the entire chorus is only using one person, and then there'll be sections where they're each using four, like maybe each each section is using a person so you have four different you know it'll develop until they've each got their own blinker you know or whatever but so that's going to be interesting and um and that'll work best in an intimate hall you know that's not going to be the kind of thing that's going to be easy to perform in you know on the stage at davies or something (laughs) so we've touched on it a couple times the final movement of the piece which of course is the title track as it were called ink um and as you you mentioned for for our audience though um you know obviously everyone listening to this should go and watch this video because it is fantastic but and we'll have links in the show notes but um the the final movement ink starts off with a piece of of standard notation sheet music on the screen and and we as an audience we see um an alto part uh, that is a the beginning of a fugue, actually. And so we get to follow along with the music and the choir is singing along what we're seeing and it feels very normal. And then all of a sudden there are ink blots that start to show up, obscuring individual parts of the piece. And at that moment, the singers do various things. And so we, we what I what I wanted to know, what 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 were the instructions for the singers for the ink blots? And did you offer any examples to them or did you just say, here's your instructions, just go hog wild? So the, the answer is that um, I did give them guidance and the guidance was that um, there were, I, I guided them in two ways. Uh, one is I, get, I descriptively explained how they, they should interpret the ink blots uh, and I told them to actually watch for the form. Like and if as the ink blot is, you know, grows in size because they're moving, you know, they're moving across the music um, from left to right. So at the beginning of the ink blot, it's narrow and it grows in size. So they, they should open up and then close back down at the end of it. And um, I told them that they could sort of change from a vowel that was more, that was kind of a uh, to a ah, you know, as they got bigger. I gave them that as a suggestion. Um, and uh, and I also told them that if the ink blot was more splattery or like rough around the edges, that they should make their tone more growly. And if they if the ink blot was smoother, they could make it smoother. Um, and if there were a lot of little splatters that splattered off onto some of the music where um, there wasn't a big fat ink blot, just a bunch of little dots, that they could go to a sort of a pointillistic like. Oh, you know, um, which happened at the end. Um, and so, so those were the instructions, but also 
in order to make sure that they, you know, the tricky thing about this time period that we're in is that singers are used to hearing all the other singers in their section and in the, in the, in the whole ensemble. And that's how they can tune and be, and blend together. And so, um, I was worried that it was going to be hard to fit all of their voices together if they had all independently sung these parts without having a guide. So I created guide tracks for all of the movements and all of the things that I asked them to sing. They were hearing my voice singing it. Um, and so as a, because of that, they also were hearing my interpretation of the ink blots, and so they probably emulated that somewhat. You know what I mean? So you didn't want to just leave that silent for that moment. I, sh- when I could you saw have left that silent. I could have left that silent, but I felt like I didn't want them to be self-conscious about what noise they made. And so I wanted them to feel like they were supported in their noise making. <laughs> <laughs> so do you hate printers? Do you have something against them? Jet printers? I, I love printers. I, I don't, but I'll tell you, they, you know, it, there are, advantages to both ink so laser and inkjet that's kind of like bodkin gin right laser and inkjet. <laughs> <laughs> so i'll tell you inkjet printers um laser printers make much crisper type like if you have uh, uh, text it's much crisper the edges are you know the inkjet it's softer because it's 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 literally little dots of liquid ink, and so they bleed a little bit, even though they're tiny. So inkjet will never look completely like the text will never look crisp. But inkjet photo prints are so much more beautiful than laser jet photo prints. So I like both. It's just one's good for one thing and one's good for the other thing. But the disadvantage. Uh, other than the softness of the text that you can't get crisp text in, in, in inkjet printers, you also cannot get any moisture anywhere near those prints because they will bleed. And, um, that's what, that's where the idea of the piece came from is just this visual. I've had many, uh, printed out document that accidentally got a drop of water on it. And then it has, you know, this blob and that doesn't happen to laser prints, but inkjet prints, any water or moisture even on it at all will like make it start to bleed. And so, so, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a hate of it or a dislike of it. It's just that it's interesting to me. It's it, those are its attributes. That's what it, you know, so the text for those who haven't seen the piece, um, the text to the fugue is just a clinical description of how inkjet printers work. Yeah, yeah, we noticed that. <laughs> it's hysterical. <laughs> it's great. Maybe we'll have to make that one of our future icebreakers, Giacomo, when we talk to choral directors yes. and composers and say, when you print your sheet music, do you prefer to print it on a inkjet or on a laser jet? No, that, no Pamela, Pamela, you just have to give us the, the Pamela Z. Rorschach test. We're just going to say, what sound is this? Tell us. Yeah, there you go, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. You know, the, the Rorschach, you know, that's really interesting too, is because, you know, the Rorschach test, it was ink blots, right? And so 
you know, what I should have done is I should have asked them, like, what do you see? Yes. There? What is that? <laughs> yeah, and then they, one, they, oh, that looks like a cloud to me. Okay, so now sing the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> it's very awesome. telling. Very telling. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> so I just have, I have one final question. Um, and then Giacomo, we'll see if you have anything else. And then we'll talk about what's coming next for you, Pamela. But, um, you know, something that struck me, and it actually struck both of us, because we talked about this after the concert when we had dinner, uh, Giacomo and myself, uh, it, it struck both of us that the whole composition used no ink in its production. The singers didn't get printed scores. There were no programs printed. Your conception of the piece is that it was going to be conceived of, created, and presented all in a digital medium. And so not being printed, not using any ink. So why ink? <laughs> Well, I, that, you know, who knows, who knows where these ideas come from? Because that just the, that is the idea that came to me, you know, and it was, it came very early in the process. And I, can I, I do have a little story I can tell you about that, which is that my original desire in creating that score was to also use a little bit of chance operations in the choice of where those blots ink blots were. Um, I wrote the entire fugue without the ink blots on it and I printed it out and then I tried to ruin the score with, but the problem is it doesn't, well, first of all, I, I bought a new printer. I got frustrated with my inkjet printer a while back and I bought a new printer and my printer is a laser printer. And so I, it wouldn't bleed. So then I was like, well, I could go to one of my neighbors in the building who has an inkjet and I could ask them to print it out and then I could wet that one. But I picked up some old prints that I had from that back when I still had the inkjet printer and I was dripping water on them just to make sure that it was even going to work. And, you know, it would blob, but it just wouldn't blob in as it, it wouldn't blob and it, it wouldn't blob well enough. You know, it just, it would, it would bleed and it would get, you know, mushed, but it wasn't giving me these nice big ink, ink blots that I wanted. And so then I got out some actual ink and I got like a pen and I started trying to spatter the ink onto it. And then all of a sudden I was like, Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> Photoshop. When all else fails, Photoshop. <laughs> yeah. So I had to use Photoshop to make the ink blots, but but my original, I really believed when I thought of the idea for the piece that the blots were going to come from, you know, wetting the paper. Let's go ahead and finish things off with the final bit of Ink by Pamela Z. <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, Pamela, it's been so wonderful to talk to you about this fantastic composition. I just think I was quite moved. I've watched it a few times already, and I just think that it's just such a great representation of kind of where we are right now and uh, in the world of technology and music all coming together. And obviously your uh, reputation is to be doing that exact thing, bringing technology and music together. And I, I think it's so fascinating. And I I personally hope to be able to work with you in the future and make some music with you um, well, in addition you. to this. All right. Well, thanks for joining us and uh, chatting with us. And uh, we will look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Nice to talk to you. We also had the chance to get Bob Geary, Volte's artistic director, on the call with us while we were chatting with Pamela. So here's just a bit of our conversation with both of them. Joining us right now, we have Mr. Bob Geary and Pamela Z at the same time to chat about Inc., the new premiere uh, that we're discussing on this episode. And Bob, we wanted to start off with a quick question for you. And that question is, what was the assignment for Pamela? And is this the first time that the two of you have worked together? Well, I'll take your, I'll go in the opposite order. Yes, it is the first time we've worked together but we've been around each other a little bit more than that. Um, and we did share a stage. Uh, we were successive uh, parts of a production earlier by um, uh, Innova a recording artists uh, event in San Francisco. Um, and we spoke at that time, I guess that was probably three years ago, Pamela, something like that. Yeah. Something like the time flies, right? Yeah. And we just said, we should do something together and kind of when, the universe changed here and I was thinking who, you know, who's out there that would, you know, maybe interested in working with the singers on a project, you know, Pamela came very quickly to mind and one thing led to another. So, yeah. Um, the other part of your question was what was Pamela's assignment? Ah, Pamela's assignment was to give us anything from 10 minutes, but kind of hopefully longer, which thankfully she did. Um, of of her own creation using um, up to uh, a balanced chorus of 16 vocalists for on a part soprano, alto, tenor, bass. Um, and with, you know, we, we were able, we, we can offer a small amount of technical support. Uh, and, you know, Pamela was the fourth in our series of four composers that we worked with. Um, and each did things slightly differently in terms of what they wanted to do with the visual aspects and how they wanted to do the pre-recorded aspects and all of that. So it was really a kind of an open slate. Thankfully, Pamela and the other three composers that we worked with all were very um, knowledgeable and competent, or at least learned on the job, how to uh, put together a, a movie. I mean, it was Pamela spoke after the concert the other day saying, yeah, now all composers are movie makers, you know, and that's one of the byproducts of our, our times. Yeah, no doubt. And those other three composers were Anne Heggie. Danny Clay. Danny Clay. Joel Chapman. And Joel Chapman. Awesome. And, Just so and, and serendipitously, I think Anne kicked it off rather wonderfully because she showed some of the things that were possible. And I don't, I don't think Joel, for instance, had probably, even though he's well-trained in technic, uh, electronic music and all of that, his, one of his Stanford degrees was in, in that. Um, so he knows his technology, but I don't think he'd ever put something like that together. Danny probably had, I'm sure he had, 
and Pamela's, and, you know, Pamela, have you done a lot of things with, with visuals? I, expect I do, but not in the way that this was. I, 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 a lot of my work involves um, video and I've come to a point where I'm making a lot of the video for my works. And this is for live performance with projected image and sometimes multiple channels of projected image. Um, and I've also made some installations that are that involve video components and so the video was created for a gallery setting so i have some, you know i have experience with making video um and i have experience with documenting live performances on video and figuring out or live works or or ex, or or you know installations or whatever and so i i have um ideas in mind and I have an aesthetic about how I like to work visually, but this is the first time that I made a project where um, I was using all these multiple faces and all the, and, and where I had, where there was such a, an enormous amount of sync sound ne necessary. Um, and also I did a lot more animation in this than I have done in the past. Uh, so that was, yeah, that was new. <laughs> Bob, during the, the creation of this, what was the back and forth between the two of you? Was there a conversation going or was this, I mean, I know that the, the marketing for the program, there was a lot of mystery and we didn't even know what the name was going to be, which was very exciting. Bob, was it as much a, a mystery for you as it was for the rest of us and the excitement of what was going to happen on Saturday? Um, I would say that I was not, shocked or surprised with what happened on Saturday, but the way Pamela farmed her material or mined her material um, was actually kind of similar to Danny Clay too, where um, she went to the singers with a whole bunch of, you know, with a checklist, I guess, of things that needed to happen in that particular rehearsal. And now I want you to do this, you know, sing this or say this or bring a shaker and she would, you know, let everybody know before rehearsal, you know, in the, in the notes leading up to the rehearsal, what to bring uh, or how to look for the rehearsal. And then she, Pamela, to your credit, pardon me if I call you she, but Pamela <laughs> put together um, all of this that I think was already in her imagination. But for those of us participating just as bystanders, basically, uh, which, which was my role, um, after the first rehearsal where Pamela was very careful to make sure that you know, I had a little conducting actually, to, or not even conducting, but leading to do in the first uh, recording session at the first rehearsal, and th then was liberated from the project because I think everybody was comfortable that Pamela was, you know, the singers loved Pamela. Um, and, the, and I've mentioned this before, the singers, the relationship of singers to composer radically changed with this series of three of four performances we did in a wonderful way. I mean, usually I've, I've got some interaction with composers uh, when we're working on new music and so, and the composer will maybe come to a rehearsal or two or at the most three uh, along the way. In this case, it was all about the composer and the singers working one-on-one -on -one and and composer to the group, and the the conductor was really off to the side. You know, there was no real conductor. What did that? Uh, you said that you led a little bit in the very first. What did that look like exactly? The last movement where Pamela actually wrote it out, and the score was printed, which I thought worked beautifully, by the way, Pamela. So oh, we were good. we were watching the score and the ink spots, and Pamela asked me to 
kind of just train the chorus for that uh, in the way that you we would do a normal repertoire, you know. Um, but, you know, the music went out to the singers ahead of time. The singers are great singers. Uh, so there really wasn't very much that needed to be done other than, you know, maybe a, a, I don't even remember, but a cutoff here or there, or, you know, I mean, there was no intonation issues or, uh, you know, any technical issues that really had to be solved. So I, I, my role was really quite minimal. <laughs> I can take very little credit. <laughs> <laughs> Ushering in a new, a new realm for the choral conductor. You yeah. know, we just, we just turn it over to the composer now and we just sit back and just say, all right, go have fun. Go. <laughs> I think this would be a good time to, to get Bob's thoughts on, on the piece's overall impact. So overall, what'd you think, Bob? I thought it was a, a very positive, actually. Uh, I, you know, I'm calibrating that based on several factors. One is after each of these performances, we've then had a Zoom chat with the audience. And I think we had 60 or even slightly over 60 people there. Yeah. Do you, um, and, you know, an hour later when we were basic, you know, there's a lot of self-congratulations going on at those things. But an hour later, we were just kind of breaking down to some relatively innocuous stuff and no one had left. You know, I mean, three, three people left or something like that. So that was one indicator of people just wanting to be involved in the process. And again, I think that's really different than, the, you know, our live performance situation. I don't think you get that degree of participation, partly because, you know, you got the composer and up on the stage with whoever's interviewing that person and the audience out in the audience. And there's kind of this, you know, dynamic, which has great positive things and historical things about it, but it's not intimate. But anyway, the discussion was very strong. And then I watch also the chat box when the singers were having an emotional moment saying, thank you, Pamela, you know, this was really a beautiful experience. Um, and then I have board members and I have I have at least one board member who's not afraid to say when <clears throat> it's a he so I'll say he when he um, doesn't like things and, and has not liked all four of the presentations and he really liked this one. And I thought, OK, it, it carried him along a person with less um, less of a muse. He's very musical, but, you know, not really in hasn't been part of the evolution of vocal music over the years he's kind of you know expectations based maybe on older models of what what that all what singing together means um and i was pleased i was actually relieved a little too that he really liked it because i was a little worried after you know some of his previous reactions <laughs> <laughs> was he just really like completely uh you know Un uninhibited about saying I didn't like. <laughs> oh God! You should have heard him after one of the shows. I won't say which one, but he just—he had—he's a smart guy, and he listed off, you know, like ten things that he thought were terrible. You know. <laughs> I mean, I—I I, well, I'm relieved then that he liked my. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, we gotta know that you know. I mean, we're all in this. All four of us talking right now are in this world where. 90% of the feedback we get is very, very positive feedback. We probably don't get, and I should say 90, uh, you know, we, there's a percentage of things that we never hear. Either, either other people absorb them for us or they get left unsaid, at least to us. But right. they're out there somewhere, you know, <laughs> each, each in, our, in our own way. Uh, 
but it's easy to kind of live in a little bit of a bubble where people are celebrating and supporting creativity and 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 just expression and very all in all its well and i think it's because partially because we are in this very rarefied we have like the, we're in this very specific community and it's it's peopled by people who love experimentation and love new things and and so you know we've surrounded ourselves with the people who so we're giving ourselves like a, almost a false sense of you know of security because you know right. most of the world doesn't even know this kind of work exists not even you know it's not even a matter of like you know although i mean i think that's changing now because of the i don't know because of the internet or whatever but you know things are getting a little bit more widely yeah, spread you know that. into the world but um you know, but we have this, I used to make this joke that there's like, there's only 40 people who go to new music concerts, but they go to all of them. And <laughs> and it doesn't matter where you are in the world. You could be like in, you know, to- Tokyo standing online to go into a new music concert and the same people are in line with you that. <laughs> you <know? laughs> well, Bob, our, our hat, my hat is off to you, uh, director to director, because I think that what Volti has done with these four concerts has just been I mean it's it's been groundbreaking it's been new it's been exciting and yet it's been as you said it's been so accessible and the after concert conversations of the composers and even two weeks ago when we got a chance to have the cocktails and composers moment in fact Pamela you should know that Giacomo and I had aviation in your honor uh, while yes. we watched your, your concert on Saturday because Aww. you know we knew that that's the drink you've been bringing to yes. the uh, composers and, and cocktails and events. frankly Bob even bringing us together on this podcast in this episode to have this level of access and this kind of a continuation of the experience is oh, really wonderful. This. So we really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I think your idea of continuation, I I totally agree with it. I, I really do think, I don't know to what extent we're breaking musical ground, but we're breaking ground in other ways of the music community expanding and the music community integrating and different ways of getting the music out there or the, the projects out there, you know, there's wider circulation. We're not geographically limited with this. Um, you know, there's just, it's just so, so different. I mean, it, it's, you know, I'm an old dog and I've had a lot of new tricks in the past year. <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, it, it's kind of remarkable how adaptable we are, yeah. humans. I mean, it's like everyone, when when you have to, everyone gets on board. It's like the entire world is said, okay, we'll do Zoom. And it's like nobody's <laughs> like not doing it. It's just, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's kind of, it's it's interesting. Well, Bob, we look forward to seeing what's in store for Volti as we move, um, you know, post-pandemic world, we start to see live performances come back and the way that the new technologies and the new experimentations that you've been uh, dabbling in affect the music making that goes on with Volti. So, um, you know, keep keep up the... You know, the great work, and, and thanks for joining us here uh, today on this call with Pamela. Thanks and, again, Pamela, and thanks to both of you, Giacomo and Zane, for, you know, getting us all together and, and as you say, extending the life of this a little bit so we're, we're reaching out a little more with it all. Okay, take care. Thanks, Bob. Okay. <laughs> thanks for listening to this week's episode of the In Unison Podcast. Be sure to check out episode extras and subscribe at inunisonpodcast.com. 
You can follow us on all social media at InUnisonPod. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to let us know what you think. Up With People alumni correspondence maintained by Chorus Dolores. Because remember, you meet them wherever you go. In Unison is produced and recorded by Mission Orange Studios. Our theme music is Mr. Puffy, written by Avi Bortnik, arranged by Paul Kim, and performed by the Danish vocal jazz ensemble Dynamic on their debut album, This Is Dynamic. Special thanks to Paul Kim for permission. Be sure to check them out at www.dynamicjazz.dk.